Alex, we're now back in your office, and I have to say I am still buzzing and reflecting on that amazing experience, that 15-20 minute drive we did around some pretty tough streets in London uh, in, in one of your vehicles powered by your AI system. Is that the normal experience? Is that, is that how you, you, you find people responding to their first drive in a wave? It's, it's magic every time. I try and get out in the car every week and stepping out of it. I, every time you go for a drive, you see something new, whether it's different weather, different road layouts. We had some you know crazy, interesting scenarios today. And it's always a treat to see how the AI learns and grows over time. And when you see a new behavior for the first time or something like that, I mean, most people have had their chat GPT moment with AI, but for me, getting in a physical car and seeing it interact in the real world, there's, there's, there's nothing like that. It's really special. I like the way you've used that, actually, the chat GPT moment. Uh, because when I first used chat GPT and we're recording this nearly a year to the day from the launch of chat GPT, it really was a moment. And I came away, the way scientists say, rethinking my priors. Uh, and I would say that having been in the car for 20 minutes uh, sitting next to the safety driver that you have to have for legal reasons, watching where his hands were and they were near the wheel but off the wheel while we drove through those really difficult streets and running across situations which I could imagine someone who had been driving for only three or four years would have really, really struggled with. And the car handled them with real great aplomb. So does that feel, am I rethinking my assumptions about this technology after that? Well, right now, right now I am, but it's really fresh in my mind. So yes, yeah, so maybe it is a bit like a chat GPT moment. Maybe it is. But let me, let me ask you, what was the journey that took you from a researcher to deciding that this is something that you wanted to, to build, that was even had potential, that the timeframes were, were right for it? Well, going back to the chat GPT com uh, comment... If you ask people what AI is today, I think that's what people gravitate to. And don't get me wrong, that technology is mind-blowing and incredible. Um, you know, the first thing I asked ChatGPT when I was playing with it, I asked it uh, the trolley problem. You know, right. how do you navigate risk when you're, you're at a self-driving car? It was interesting to see, see how it answered. Um, but I think in 10, 20 years, if you ask people what AI is, they're going to be referring to the, the embodied AI, the, the system that, whether it's the bipedal robot in their living room helping out with their domestic tasks or the autonomous uh, self-driving car that just dropped them off or delivered their groceries or what have you. Uh, it's the AI that's going to be around us and able to support the lives we live in, accelerate what we do and free up our time and make our lives safer. This kind of, um, um, yeah, this, this is where I think we're going to go. And when we, when I, when we founded Wave, um, the reason why we started was in order to build that future, it's not going to be built by a, a robot that's hand programmed to drive in a or, or, or to operate in a way that's um, designed with a set uh, number of rules and, and to operate in a, in a set given way. Because the world is just too unstructured, unpredictable. You need to have a system that has the intelligence to understand that and make its own decisions. Mm hmm. And there's no better way of doing that than end-to-end -end deep learning, big machine learning models that can 
learn through data, learn things that are more complex than we can hand program as engineers. Uh, and I'd seen that during my research with computer vision. I've been inspired by similar breakthroughs at the time, whether it was to uh, AlphaGo to be mm-hmm. able to, to uh, solve the hardest board game in the world and to be able to learn how to beat the world champion at the work that Google DeepMind did. These kind of things at the time um, made me think, look, now's the right time to go and build this in an embodied physical system and we can actually go and make this technology safe to be deployed in the physical world. Right. So, so that's actually very helpful to, to understand because... Uh, you know, deep learning is, uh, you know, has been with us since a moment of inflection, probably since 2010, 2011, although the theory and the first uh, prototypes are, are somewhat older than that. Uh, and what it did was it challenged the assumption that in order to build AI systems, you would need to have lots and lots of rules, rules about the world, uh, and and those rules and that that approach is now called GoFi, good old fashioned uh, AI. You know, would construct. The joke was millions and millions of if then else statements. Right, if you see a child, then break you know, else continue as you were driving and you have to construct so many rules, it becomes very complex. So is was that approach the approach that the autonomous vehicle industry started with when they used to have those DARPA challenges uh, across the desert in the US? Is that how those systems were built 15 years ago? Well, you make a good observation there. I mean, this has been the same um, pattern that's played out, whether it's the very first uh, systems that could beat humans at chess or image recognition or even ChatGPT, as we talked about before. People used to build those technologies with rule-based systems, and it was going to an end-to-end um, you know, neural network that's enabled them to hit this inflection point. Uh, but actually, one of the very first autonomous vehicles uh, in, I think it was 1989 or around that time, was an end-to-end uh, learning approach. Right. It was built by uh, Dean Pomerleau and, and colleagues at Carnegie Mellon University right. in the US. And he was inspired because he, he uh, I've, I've, what I've read about is he wanted to build a system that could drive on the east and west coast of the US. It could generalize, it could scale. And so he built, it was a very small, I think, hundreds of parameter neural networks, a very, very small neural network, but it uh, could get a vehicle at the time to do to lane following. But after that, you know, we had this AI winter where people couldn't, there wasn't the, uh, for many factors, compute resources, algorithmic maturity, things like this. There, it wasn't possible to scale these systems. In the meantime, rules-based systems uh, were the, the fashionable thing at the time, and in the you know 2005 2007 kind of era the US government poured a lot of funding into those DARPA grand challenges as you described they allowed uh, academic research labs to scale up rules based systems based on mapping and lidar technologies mm-hmm. and ultimately um you know when google ended up acquiring and funding uh, one of them commercially that's what led to the first commercial self driving car effort and that's now since we've seen a lot of offshoots from that project that have formed many of the existing commercial efforts today. But the the result has been the prevailing commercial technology has been that traditional rules-based stack. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not the first, and it's not a new idea to do end-to-end learning uh, for self-driving. Many have tried along the way. But when we started in 2017, I think there are a number of reasons around timing that meant that it's been possible to to build and scale it now. And then with all of the breakthroughs and foundation models and generative AI, it's just simply accelerated this. Mm-hmm. 
But certainly in 2017, when we started and there were multi-billion dollar efforts behind these rules-based approaches and everyone thought, look, it's going to um, scale and commercialize. It's going to do that in a year. It's all done. The, the, the market is won. I think there was a certain sense of contrarianism and bravery that, um, you know, we had to grasp in order to go and set off on this alternate path, uh, sure. which has been a very contrarian approach for well, the last few years. I mean, you and I have met a few times over the past few years, and I think you may may remember that I was very sceptical about your contrarian approach uh, initially uh, back then. I, I mean, as I was sceptical about the self-driving efforts that were happening elsewhere because they kept missing their their goals and it was becoming clear that it was more and more more complex so i'm very happy to be here and having had the the drive in the car and i've had an opportunity over the last couple of years to say you're you're doing really interesting things and and so on but i was i was myself skeptical about whether you could do this with end-to-end learning and without using additional sensor packages and i think it's worth you know sort of saying that your current system works just using a series of of cameras, whereas a large part of the autonomous vehicle industry had made assumptions that you would need a wide variety of sensors, including uh, LIDAR, which is, I suppose, laser-style radar, uh, maybe other types of radar, maybe ultrasonic sensors, many different types of cameras. So I, I was quite, I was quite sceptical. I'm happy to admit that and happy to see the progress that you've made. Yeah, the sensing question is an important one. Uh, but the the first point I'd make is that you can't consider the sensor packages without also considering the the AI or the the software that's running behind it. Mm. Um, you know, you could have all the best sensors in the world, but the worst AI and your system be terrible. Or you could have the worst sensors and the best AI and you can actually work. But, um, uh, you know, you can see examples in the animal kingdom with the mantis shrimp. It's got the best eyes in the animal kingdom, uh, far better than human eyes, but its intelligence is very poor. And, right. you know, you wouldn't trust a mantis shrimp to drive your car. Absolutely. Um, so you need to look at both in together. And from our perspective with our AI driver, we've built it in a way that makes it agnostic to the sensors it uses. So it can learn to drive with cameras, radar, LIDAR, whatever future sensors people invent. And we want to stay on the bleeding edge there. But uh, the, the the point is that we need to be able to learn to adapt those different signals and learn to generalize a- across them. Uh, to make a safe system, you want to have some redundant sensing modality. You want to have uh, you know, two different types that give you orthogonal f- um, protection against orthogonal failure modes and things like that. And so uh, you also want to have a system that's affordable and scalable. Uh, and then you want to have an AI that's good enough to handle that. And so bringing those factors together, um, I think camera radar solutions make a lot of sense today because cameras and radars are in most production vehicles today we know how to manufacture them that they're cheap you know hundreds of dollars each um but i'm i'm convinced that people will invent amazing new sensors in the future and we need to make sure our ai is capable of learning to adopt them and and improving the safety of the system right so let's do this let's go back and 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 step back slightly into the old the old paradigm and just let's describe that so we understand what it is and what your new paradigm looks like. 